Welcome to the Ephesians in August podcast, episode 4, The Broken Wall. I won't go into all the details of how I became a follower of Jesus, except to say that my best friend in high school, John Marshall, was an important factor in my journey. I'm going to take you back to the first day of grade 10. And after going to our homerooms and getting our schedules, a group of us were chatting in the hallways. Although John and I really didn't hang out together in grade 9, we were part of a mutual friend group in grade 10. Over time, John and I became good friends. But this was not an easy task for John, since he was a Christian and I was not. To make matters worse, I was a loud, obnoxious, troublemaking, and slightly foul-mouthed person. Nevertheless, John befriended me and invited me to his youth group where I was accepted as I was. Through these friendships, I began to see that Christians weren't weirdos, but real people who had meaningful relationships with God. So I went from being indifferent to being a seeker and finally to being a follower. A few years later, John said to me, When you started hanging around me in grade 10, I was embarrassed to be seen with you. Now those words may seem a bit harsh, but he was being completely truthful. I was an embarrassment to be around because I was loud, obnoxious, troublemaking, and slightly foul-mouthed. Yet John didn't avoid me or push me aside. Instead, he accepted me. John's positive influence continued in those first days of my faith journey, when I was still a bit rough around the edges. Whenever I had questions or radical ideas about Christianity, John would reserve judgment, listen to me, and calmly guide me in the right direction. While I have moved on from those beginning steps of following Jesus, and other spiritual mentors have come and gone, I'm thankful to God that my friend John was providentially brought into my life. Now, this story does have a point which relates to this section of Ephesians. There may be times in our lives when we encounter people who are quite different from ourselves. These differences may be so pronounced that we feel as if a wall exists between us. And in the case of obnoxious people, we may want to put up a wall to keep them out. Jesus, however, is in the business of breaking down walls and bringing people together. And we, his people, are called to exemplify his work of reconciliation. One of the key images in Ephesians 2, 11-22 is the broken wall specifically referred to in verse 14. But before we get to the broken wall, let's look back at the larger picture around this passage. Ephesians 2, 11-22 is a continuation of Paul's discussion in chapter 2, verses 1-10. to Both passages call the readers to remember the stark contrast between how their lives once were apart from Christ, and how they are now in Christ. 
In the last podcast, I emphasized that we were once dead, enslaved, and condemned. But now we are alive, freed, and pardoned by the grace of God. The second half of chapter 2 focuses on the journey that Paul's Gentile readers took from being outsiders of God's family to becoming an integral part of God's people. Now, this passage is focused on the cruel and the crucial problem for, of the early church, namely how to bring together Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians into one group despite their cultural and religious differences. While this may seem like an issue unique to the first century church, this passage continues to have a, a relevance for the modern church since we persist in building walls of separation. Now, this passage follows a logical pattern called a chiasm. This is when a writer starts off with a point and spirals into a central point and then spirals out with a statement that parallels his starting point. Paul begins in verses 11 and 12 with a description of the lives of his Gentile readers prior to their faith in Christ. The central section of the passage, verses 13 to 17, describes what God, what Christ has done, sorry, and how he has accomplished it. The concluding verses, 18 to 22, offer a picture of the reader's changed status due to Christ's work which is a clear contrast to the previous, their previous position as outsiders, which was articulated in verses 11 and 12. So the focal point of the chiasm is at the very center, which concerns the work of Christ in bringing peace between Jew and Gentile. This passage reflects a first-century Jewish perspective that sharply divided society into two groups, Jew and Gentile. There were, of course, noticeable differences between Jews and Gentiles in that world. Jews worshipped one God in one temple in Jerusalem, whereas Gentiles worshipped many gods in many temples throughout the empire. Jews abstained from certain foods, like pork, in keeping with the Torah, whereas Gentiles did not have any religious dietary restrictions. Jews observed a regular rest day that was called the Sabbath, whereas Gentiles did not have a scheduled break from the weekly routine. As a sign of adherence to the covenant, male Jews were circumcised, whereas Gentiles had no such bodily alterations for religious purposes. From a Jewish perspective, Gentiles were outsiders of God's covenant people. And Paul's language expresses this notion. Paul begins by encouraging his Gentile readers to remember anamnesis, their status prior to their faith in Christ. They were clearly outsiders and held in contempt by God's people. The Jews, who were the circumcised, called them the uncircumcised, stressing that they lacked the obvious mark of being God's people. 
Paul then goes to list in quick succession the benefits of being God's people, which his Gentile readers did not have prior to Christ. These Gentiles were without Christ, that is, they did not know Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. They were separated or excluded from God's covenant people, the nation of Israel. They were strangers to the covenant promises of God that he made to his people to bless them and to care for them. They lacked a real hope for the future found in the promises of God. And even though the Gentiles worshipped many gods, they did not know the one true God, the God of Israel. But their exclusion from God's people was all erased by Christ. Paul declared in verse 13 that his Gentile readers, who were once far away from God, are now in Christ and have become near to God through Christ's blood, that is, his sacrificial death. But at the very center of the passage, verse 14, Paul states that Christ is our peace. And in the verses that follow, he describes how Christ accomplished his peacemaking mission. In the Bible, the word peace, Irene, does not always mean the ceasing of conflict, as it is linked to the Hebrew word shalom, which speaks of a well-being and wholeness that encompasses all aspects of human life. In Ephesians 2.14, however, peace does refer to the end of hostile relations between two parties. Furthermore, the peace that Christ brings restores the fractured relationship between God and humanity and overcomes the alienation that separates people. In and through Christ, those Gentiles who were far away from God have been brought near to God. At the same time, the division between Jew and Gentile was also overcome. In making peace, Jesus did not merely make Gentiles into Jews. Instead, he took these two divergent groups and formed them into one new humanity. But before Jesus got started on his remarkable building project, he needed to do some knocking down. In verse 14, we read that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. While the passage is not entirely clear about what this wall of separation is or was, interpreters have suggested several possibilities. One of the more interesting options focuses on the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and its arrangement. The temple building itself was constructed on an elevated platform surrounded by three courts, the court of the priests, the court of Israel, that is for Jewish men, the court of women for Jewish women, and several steps down from the main level was a one and a half meter wall surrounded by an outer court known as the court of the Gentiles. This wall ensured that Gentiles could walk around the temple and view it, but they could not approach it. Warning signs were posted at several intervals stating, no man of another race is to enter within the fence 
an enclosure around the temple. Whoever is caught will have only himself to thank for the death which follows. Whether this partition was what Paul was referring to in Ephesians 2.14 cannot be determined with certainty, but it does illustrate the very real walls that existed between Jew and Gentile in the first century. Another possibility for the wall of separation is provided by the immediate context of this verse. In verse 15 we read, He abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. I mentioned earlier that some of the key differences between Jew and Gentiles included circumcision, Sabbath observance, and dietary restrictions. The law established these practices as a means for the people of Israel to make a distinction between themselves and the pagan nations that surrounded them. The law defined them as God's people, establishing boundary markers that separated them from outsiders. Jesus knocked down this wall of separation and redefined what it meant to be the people of God. Jesus made peace, not by getting the Gentiles to conform to Judaism, but by taking these two groups and creating in himself one new humanity. Eugene Peterson's translation of verse 15 nicely captures this idea. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Jesus reached out to both Jew and Gentile and proclaimed the good news of peace to those far away and to those who were near. He made peace between them and peace between them and God. For through Christ, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. The message is clear. Jesus doesn't merely knock down walls of separation. He builds something completely new. He fashions a new humanity out of diverse groups of people. He took these Gentiles, who were once strangers, refugees, and foreigners, and gave them a home in God's family. Furthermore, he is building a brand new temple, not with bricks, but with people. He is its cornerstone, holding all the many pieces together, helping it to grow together into a, a dwelling place for God. He does all this through the cross. Scattered throughout this passage are references to Jesus accomplishing this through his blood, through his flesh, or through the cross. The cross of Christ not only reconciles humanity to God, but it also reconciles people to each other. Again, Peterson's translation is spot on. Christ has brought us together through his death on the cross, the cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. With all this talk of Jews and Gentiles, it's easy for us to see this passage as frozen in time, 
referring to a unique situation in the early church. Yet Jesus continues his work of breaking down walls in order to build something new, and this has profound implications for Christians and Christian communities today. I'd like to conclude with these challenging words from Marcus Bart from his book, The Broken Wall. When no tensions are confronted and overcome, because insiders or outsiders of a certain class or group meet happily among themselves, then the one new thing, peace, and the one new man created by Christ are missing. Then no faith, no church, no Christ is found or confessed. For if the attribute Christian can be given any sense from Ephesians chapter 2, then it means reconciled and reconciling, triumphant over walls and removing the debris, showing solidarity with the enemy and promoting not one, one's own peace of mind, but our peace. That's all for episode four. I hope that we will all continue to reflect on the broken wall and think deeply about its implications for our lives and for our mission in the world. God bless.